0: Good morning, National Capital Bible Church. Call to worship is taken from Psalms 34, which says the following. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. O fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack anything good. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his eyes are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and save such have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He guards all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Listen to that. And evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. Now we have an opportunity for spiritual preparation. Let's pause for a moment of silence so that we can refocus and relax this morning. We've all been through a rough, challenging week, I'm sure. So let's just pause for a moment of silence and prepare ourselves through the use of 1 John 1.9, which says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us pray. What an honor it is, Lord, to be able to stand together and uh, worship you around your word. But before we do, we know the importance of confessing any sins that we may have as the Holy Spirit illuminates it in our hearts and minds so that we can stand with a clean slate knowing that you'll forgive us and cleanse us from those sins that we've confessed to thee. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to assemble around your word with the saints here at National Capital Bible Church. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We are pressing on with basics, and I've got a few more things to cover, and then we will move on beyond the basics. But for now, help me with this. What can someone tell me with regards to the salvation slide here in front of you? What is the most important uh, tense that we are focused on right now? One, two, or three? Okay, very good. And what have we learned thus far? A lot. A lot. A lot? (laughs) lot? So how do we put phase two into practice? What have we been covering the last few weeks? Being saved from the power of sin. Very good. Saved from the power of sin. And how do we do that? The word? Okay, what else? Stay in fellowship. Excellent, excellent. Okay, we're going to review a few things from the past. This was, I think, two weeks ago. Anybody remember what I pointed out with Second Peter 1-2? What was the highlight here? What did we see in here? What do we get? And how do we get it? Grace and peace. Excellent, Brian. And how do we get the grace and peace? Very good. The knowledge of God. Is that it? Look at the verse. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of who? God the Father and Jesus Christ. Remember, we had pointed out that I, I had said that we must know knowledge and enough doctrine regards to regarding God the Father and God the Son, just in this one verse alone. And if you do, grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the acquisition of of God the Father and of God the Son. Do you see that there in verse 2? It's gonna be multiplied to you in the knowledge of the Father and Jesus. So, I pointed out how Peter's prayer was that grace and peace would be multiplied through the acquisition or the knowledge of God the Father and of Jesus our Lord. What can you say about the Father? What do you know about God the Father? Who is He? He was the one who sent His Son to die on the cross. That's part of the grace and peace that will be multiplied to Scott. As he searches these truths, grace and peace will be extended to Scott as he studies the knowledge of God the Father. So he knows that John 3.16 displays that God's Father is so vast that he shared his only begotten Son that whoever believes in the Son will not perish, but instead have everlasting life. But what I'm wanting us to see here is that the grace and peace that we so need today is going to be the byproduct of studying God the Father and God the Son. Again, pointing back to the importance of the Word of God, studying the Word of God. Their faith, referring to Second Peter Brought justification, phase one, which is all as a result of believing in Christ. But grace and peace involves the intake of God's word. That's part of phase two. Focus on God the Father, GTF, and GTS is God the Son. The deeper the knowledge of God and of Jesus, the more grace and peace are multiplied. Okay? Did you know doctrines uh, can protect you against sin? God's Word, or sometimes known as Bible doctrine, protects you against sin, according to the psalmist in Psalms 119.11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So it's the hiding of the Word of God in our hearts. It protects us against sin. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything again, Second Peter, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So remember, Second Peter, God's divine power has adequately endowed the believer, that's you and me, with all things related to life and godliness. Everything that we would need to manage and navigate through life and holiness or godliness is through the knowledge of him, who is him referring to here in context. That would be God the Father. When you look and you scroll back to verses 1 and 2, you'll notice that he um, makes reference to the Son. So, he has given us power. Again, it's coming through the knowledge of him, through the word of God. This is stressing the importance of studying the scriptures who called us by his own glory and excellence. And help me remember what Romans one sixteen, what did we what did I bring out in Romans 1.16? What was this about? What did I what did I say here? What did I comment on? What did I teach? Romans 1.16, Is this a salvation passage? Is this what you share to unbelievers? Or is this for believers? Everyone who believes, right? So who's speaking? In Romans 1? The Apostle Paul. And what is he saying here? I'm not what? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the euangelion. Why? Because it is the power. That dunamis Power of God to what? What's the word there? What's salvation mean? Deliverance, right? So Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power to of God to deliver for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also for the Greek. Do you remember what salvation was in the context of Romans 1? Romans 1, 18 to 32. What was Paul saying here? What did God do to those who suppressed the truth and unrighteousness and ungodliness? Very important to know this because as a pastor I hear people struggle with all types of sins and I'm not saying that we don't. We all do. But look closely at what Paul is saying here. I'm not embarrassed of the gospel. Why? Because there's power in it to those who believe in it. But notice what it says in Romans. Let's turn to our Bibles. It's always good to have our Bibles in church, right? Remember... One verse eighteen, the wrath of God will be revealed from heaven. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. Does it say will be revealed? is. Is revealed. When? When is is? Right now. So the wrath of God is currently revealed and how is it revealed today? Do you remember? How is it being revealed today? Very good, Bill. They're being given over to what? Ungodliness. Ungodliness. That's right. Look at verse 23 or 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to what? Vile passions. What does that mean? Well, look at it in context. Even their women exchanged a natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman. Burn in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. What do we see here? Women with women, men with men. Do we see this today? When people suppress the truth in ungodliness and unrighteousness, God turns them over to themselves. And what did Paul say in Romans 1.16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power to deliver me for everyone who believes. Deliver from what? Vile passions. A reprobate mind. This is what Paul is arguing here in Romans 1:16. 18 to 32 is a list of all the sins that people are struggling struggling with today. And I believe when you look at some of these verses here like 26 God gave them up. Oh God, though. <laughs> that's okay. Wow. Wow, that uh, Yeah, that's... He just wanted to make sure. It's okay. He just wanted to hear. That's all. It woke everybody up, huh? Oh, that's okay. Well, that was a good wake-up call. Well, God wanted us to know he gave them up to vile passions. And then in 28, even as they did not like to retain God, do we know people like that? even as they did not like to retain God, in their knowledge, God gave them up to a debased or reprobate mind. So there's this ongoing suppression of truth beginning with verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then he goes on and he says, "...because what may be known," verse 19... ...of God is manifest in them. What may be known about God is in them. Manifest in them... and ...for God has shown it to them. So they're without excuse. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them... ...for God has shown it. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Everybody is rendered guilty. Romans 1 is a passage that Paul starts off with and says, all these sins that we're currently seeing could this be the byproduct of someone who's suppressing the truth about God in unrighteousness and ungodliness? And then he's arguing among, to the believers here, I'm not embarrassed. Why? Because it has the power to deliver from all these things. Do you know people who struggle with things? Maybe it's some of us we get into the Word. That's why the last several weeks, it's always about getting into the Word. Getting into the Word. Remember what I said earlier, two weeks ago, I think? We know all these key terms, Bible doctrine, Bible doctrine, but the application, I think, sometimes falls short. This is why I'm drilling it over and over and over because the doctrine is very important, but it's the application of the doctrine. James makes it clear. We're not to be hearers of the Word, only but doers. So if you know the divine dynasphere, and you know what rebound is, but you don't know how to apply the interlocking doctrines like this, then when you have a friend or yourself who's struggling with 18 to 32, then you can parrot all these terminologies, but if you can't see with this one verse alone that it provides the deliverance that we so need, then we're going to live in defeat. And so you go to church every week, but you're not being transformed because it's not making sense. And you are you know all the terms, you've got the latest Bible doctrine dictionary from the ministry, and you have all the books, but when you're by yourself, if we're honest with ourselves, we're going to sit there and say, if they only knew me, they'd probably wonder if I'm even genuinely saved. But you know, we're better than that. We're all a part of the royal family of God and we all are on the same boat. Which is why I'm saying, let's look at what God has given to us. You have your Bibles right in front of you. That is what's alive and powerful. Remember the several verses I opened up with? The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is not the Word like a consuming fire, like a hammer. Do you believe that? That is faith to faith, living by faith to faith. Recognizing the Word of God is not just alive and powerful, something that you hear a pastor repeat every Sunday, but it's something that you believe in and say it is alive and powerful. And it can transform. So much so that I can look at verse 16 and say, ah, okay, I'm not embarrassed anymore because I know that personally when I go through struggles if I'm struggling with pornography, drugs, I know that if I would reflect and focus on the gospel of Christ, the message of the word of God, that's going to transform my life as I put focus on it. Looking at God the Father and God the Son, not just knowing for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, but knowing like what we saw in Second Peter. What do I know about God the Father? Well, He's the author of the plan. He, Jesus Christ is the executor of the plan. What about the third person of the Trinity who is silent in the scripture? He's there to help us. He's he. I must leave so that I can send you a helper. Anybody need help? I do. We all need help. But you know what? We need to assemble together and recognize that we are a part of the royal family of God. We have to treat each other as such we got to look at the Word of God for what it is and look at it and say, look, the reason why we need to get people in here on a Sunday morning is because they don't know this. How many of our neighbors, our unbelieving friends or family members are oblivious to something like this? There's power in the gospel. They only think turn or burn. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to burn in hell. That's all they know but that's a small segment of Christianity. You There's people like you all who are grounded as a result of Pastor Dan's fantastic teaching, many, many years. You know these truths. I'm, I'm here supplementing and expanding on what he has already provided for you. And I realize a lot of this is very common, and you know this for a fact, but... I'm telling you, there are people that you know right now that could certainly be set free with Romans 1.16. Just this one verse alone. Saved to everyone who simply believes. For in it, the gospel that is, the gospel of Christ is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And pointed out that dikaiosune is the word for righteousness. It provides for people, and on on the basis of faith in the gospel of Christ, that dikaiosune, when you place your faith in him, you get the righteousness of God, which is imputed to you upon faith. So you receive that righteousness. It also gives us a provision. The just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17 And remember we covered this as well. And uh, we'll, we won't spend too much time on this. But there is therefore no condemnation. That's that word katakrima. To those who are in Christ Jesus? Remember, we're trying to get people in Christ Jesus because right now, if they're an unregenerate individual, who are they in? Anybody remember? Who are people in if they're not in Christ? Adam. Right? Right? They're in Adam. So when we're leading people to Christ, we we know in our mind that they are spiritually dead, right? Because of their position in Adam. We're trying to get them into the second Adam, that is Christ Jesus. So when you lead someone to Christ, the issue is getting them out of Adam and into Christ. That's conversion. That's part of regeneration. That's part of salvation phase one. This is part of the basics. But this must be clear so that when we go out and present the gospel, in our minds we know what's going on. If we know that they're in Adam, then we should not be surprised if they consider the things that we share foolishness to them. Because scripture says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, phase two, it is what? The power of God. 1 Corinthians 18. What is the power of God? The message of the cross. So again, it's rooted in the word. So I hope by the time we're finished with this, you'll see that Freddie loves to put heavy emphasis on the word because that's what's alive and powerful. That's what does the transformation. We're going to look at Romans twelve 12.2 which is one of my favorite verses as well that shows this, uh, where the transformation occurs. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk. That word is peripateo, according to the flesh. It's an ongoing dependence upon him on an ongoing basis. It's the manner in which one behaves. It's what we would call occupied with Christ. You've heard that before. This is occupied with Christ. The one word there walked, who do not walk according to the flesh, but instead according to the Spirit. So you're occupied with Christ. God the Holy Spirit is empowering you from that point on as you are filled with the Spirit. In the indwelling, what's the acronym that Lewis Ferry Schaefer coined? Remember the four letter word? The works of the Holy Spirit? What does R stand for? Regeneration, indwelling, Indwelling? baptism, Baptism? sealing, Sealing. very good. Ribs, regeneration, indwelling, baptism, and sealing. That takes place at the moment of faith. The Holy Spirit does that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You're regenerated, you're indwelt, you're baptized, and you're sealed. That's by Lewis Sperry Schaefer. (coughs) For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 1-2, has made me free from the law of sin and death. So, Paul has been talking about the law of Moses, and you see his ongoing struggle in chapter 7. Here he introduces a new law, the law of the Spirit of life. How many of you are familiar with the law of the Spirit of life? We know the law of Moses... What about the law of the spirit of life right there in verse 2? Has anybody studied this before? The law of the spirit of life? This new law can set you free from sin and death. That's what we see in verse 2, right? The law of the spirit of In Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What law? The law of the spirit of life. Not the law of Moses. Verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the righteous action of the law can be fulfilled in us or him as he walks in relation to the Spirit. So it can be fulfilled in us as long as we are properly related to God the Holy Spirit. Again, Dr. Schaefer used to say in his book, He That Is Spiritual. The difference between a Christian and a spiritual man is the Christian is one who is rightly related to Jesus Christ. A spiritual man is one who is rightly adjusted to God the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So when you're rightly adjusted to to the Holy Spirit, you're not grieving, you're not quenching Him. You are then spiritual. You then have the empowerment of God the Holy Spirit. He's no longer grieved, He's not quenched. He's free to operate in you and through you. So rightly adjusted to Christ makes you a Christian or a believer. Rightly adjusted to God, the Holy Spirit, allows you to be spiritual. The very thing Paul found himself unable to do, and we looked at this last week, I believe, in chapter 7, 15 to 25, that ongoing struggle, the things I don't want to do, that's what I do, the things I want to do, I don't do. Does that sound like you? The ongoing struggle inside, that's exactly what Paul was wrestling with in Romans chapter 7, 15 to 25. And he said, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin in me. He makes the, he sees the contrast, the sin in him, and yet he can worship with his mind. He said, in my thinking I can at least do it, but my flesh, who can deliver me from this? So you can see the frustration on the part of Paul when you look closely at chapter 7. But then he tells us the solution to that in chapter 8. So the righteous action of the law can be fulfilled by him as he walks in relation to the spirit. So here, let's uh, highlight this a little bit more here. So, verse 5 of Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, the behavior of believers, they, it follows the mindset, whatever we set our minds on. A change of attitude results from welcoming God's word. Again, emphasis on the word. That new attitude in turn results in a change of behavior. We find this in Colossians 3.2, which says the following. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things on the earth. We've read this before. We know this by heart. Paul wants us to understand that our minds will determine our well-being. The only source for stability is on the thing above, the things above, not the things here on earth. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. That is, concentrate on the eternal, not the temporal. The Christian life is centered around one's mindset. How many of you have heard a pastor in the past say, Christianity is all about a mindset. It's how you think. It's what you think. It's found here in Colossians three two. This is what he's arguing. It's setting your minds on the things above, not on the things that are temporal, not on the things of the earth. So now, one of my favorite verses, and hopefully after this you will not try to be good anymore. It's not about trying to be good. Romans 12.2 <clears throat> Do not be conformed to this world. Have you heard this before? But be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is in the present passive imperative. What does that mean? Present tense is an ongoing action. So that's something that you're to constantly strive for, constantly do. So we are to be continuously transformed. But how? Well, here's the interesting thing, is that that word transform is passive. If it's passive, that means the subject is being acted upon. So who's the subject here? You and me. So now you lost me, Freddie. Big deal. Uh, Sub... uh, it's passive. Okay, how does that help me with my struggles? Well, we're being commanded to be transformed, and not to, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That word is metamorphuo by the renewing of your mind. So, as you renew your mind in the Word, guess what happens? you will be transformed. Because it's not you doing the transformation. It's not you trying to be good. I'm going to be a Christian today, uh, effective today. I'm not going to watch anything X-rated anymore. I'm not going to cuss anymore. You know, those are all commendable. But if you want to truly change, it's through the renewing of one's mind. What did I start off with in the very beginning? Satan's strategy from the Garden of Eden has always been to undermine and undercut the Word of God. When he met with Jesus Christ himself, what did he do? He challenged him with the Word of God too. Did God really say that? And he said, turn these stones into bread. It's a constant attack on the Word. This is the most precious commodity right now. What you possess, what you own, your Bible. It's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it has the ability to transform your life as you renew your mind. As you renew your mind, guess what the byproduct of that is? A transformed life. So the command is going to be executed by God the Holy Spirit as you renew your mind in the Word. Look closely again. Do not be molded into this world But instead, be different. Be transformed. And in fact, some commentators say that this word transform is similar to watching a a, a caterpillar transform into a butterfly. So it's a radical transformation. So be radically transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's how true change takes place. It's not about, oh, New Year's resolution, I promise God I'm going to start reading my Bible, I'm going to listen to tapes, I'm going to uh, pray more. It's not about that. It's about getting steeped in the Word. Renew your mind in the Word so that in the end, not only will you be metamofuho, but you will know what that good and perfect will of God is. Oh, I'm praying for God's will. I don't know what to do with my life. I'm I'm still waiting for God to tell me what He wants me to do with my life. It's going to come through constant exposure to the Word. Transform your mind, renew your mind so that you'll be a different person, no longer looking like the what? The world. Isn't that what we're all about? If we're honest with ourselves, we all have our tendencies, our, our sinful tendency trending one way or the other, being super holy in the energy of the flesh, or maybe cruddy. Maybe we're, we're sinful and we just nobody knows. We have a secret life or something. I've heard of people like that. I've dealt with people like that. And you know what? This is why I'm so into getting into the Word. Not knowing terminology, but application of the doctrine itself, the truth itself. What are we learning in just one verse? Romans 12.2 You want to be a new person? You want to be transformed? Well, renew your mind. What does that do? What what, what does that require? Constant exposure to the Word. Did we not see that in Second Peter? Knowing God the Father, God the Son. What will happen when we do that? We will multiply in grace and what? Grace and peace. That will be multiplied as you study God the Father, God the Son. Romans 12.2, Don't be like the world, but be... Transform just like a caterpillar into a butterfly by the renewing of your mind. The veterans who stood here earlier, you understand that when you go to boot camp and you're in the military, they radically transform you here. You didn't change physically on the external, correct? This is what changed. I think a month ago I asked Scott if he would, uh, when he remembers uh, boot camp, you know, how different he was after boot camp. And I don't know if he remembers, but I'm sure there might have been times or any of you who went to boot camp where you're wondering, can I really weather this? Is this really worth it? And I I don't like being away from my family. I don't like being here being yelled at. But guess what happens at the end of boot camp? By the time you stand at attention and you graduate, you're willing to lay your life down for your country. You're completely different. Is that not true? You would do that for your country. And we have our freedom because of a renewed mind. And the church of God must renew their mind. They need to be transformed so that they won't be looking like the world and that's only going to come as a direct result of renewing your mind in the Word. You're going to be a completely different person, someone who is filled with the Spirit, someone who is now understanding that it's not some mystical thing It's not speaking in tongues. It's not laying hands on people. It's a real transformative power that is a byproduct of a renewed mind as God the Holy Spirit is no longer grieved, no longer quenched, as you're naming your sins to God, you're on that influence, you're, uh, you're riding under the influence of God the Holy Spirit, as you're intaking the Word, you're focusing on God the Father, God the Son, the Gospel of Christ, you're studying all these truths. I'm not ashamed anymore because it has the power to deliver me. And as I'm reflecting on Romans 12.2 this morning, I'm realizing more and more that it's true. If, I'm not, if I don't want to be like the world anymore, I don't want to get mixed up with the world anymore, well, then I have to start with renewing my mind. That's what Paul is arguing here. Don't be like the world anymore, but be different, but be radically changed, and this happens by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, again... That word transform, when you zoom in on it and look at it closely, it's present tense, passive voice, imperative mood. It's a command, mood of command, passive voice. It's something that happens to you. So here's the beauty of it. You don't have to try to be transformed. You don't have to sit there and say, it's so hard to be a Christian. I told you last month, two months ago, it's impossible to be a Christian. You should never try to be a Christian because you can't. You will fail. But instead, if you make a regular routine of studying with your spouse, with your kids, and even yourself, studying the Word of God, being exposed to the Word of God on a consistent basis, not just coming to church once in a while because, you know what, it's Thanksgiving, it's Veterans Day, we should show up, it's Christmas. No, we do it now because of the constant exposure to truths like this that will truly renovate and transform our lives. It's not a mystical thing. Remember what I said last week, that the apostles would be surprised if God wouldn't answer their prayers. Today, we're shocked when he answers our prayers. Because the faith component is no longer the same. There's a disconnect. And I think the disconnect is with the Word of God. We're so focused on the details of life sometimes that we don't spend ample time in the Word. Back home in California, I used to argue because they would say, why do you want to go for an hour on a Sunday? Well, one hour a Sunday, how many Sundays in a month? Five? Four or five. Four or five, okay. Let's just say four on average, right? Yeah, so four Sundays a month, four times 12 is what? 48. 48. How many days is that? Two. Two days. So if you go to church every Sunday and you spend an hour with me, at the end of the year, you spend two days in church. Congratulations. You guys are advanced. Is that how training is done? When you start something at work and you're on a a probationary status to learn your new field, do you need more than two days to study, to prepare and to acclimate? Oh, yeah. So here we're complaining about an hour every Sunday. I'm not saying here necessarily, but my point is... If we spend, on average, one hour a Sunday over a year span, that's only two days, if you think about it. That's not sufficient time, which is why I'm encouraging you and exhorting you to get grounded in the Word, not just on Sunday, but regularly. Get into the Word, so that you will experience the transformative power of the Word of God. Okay? So, be transformed. How? How are you going to be transformed? Renewing of the mind. That's where it's at. For to be carnally minded is death. Romans 8.6 But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So a literal rendering is the flesh, the flesh's mindset is death. But the spirit's mindset is life and peace. One belongs to the sphere of and results in death. The other belongs to a contrasting sphere with contrasting results. Namely, life and peace. Okay, let's have a quick Bible study. What do you see here in 1 Corinthians 3.1? Very important. Again, I'm emphasizing the importance of the word. But put on your spiritual glasses and let's study this together. For those online, I'll read it. <clears throat> I, brethren, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 3.1, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men. For when, when one says I'm of Paul and another I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? So you're in the middle of a Bible study now and you're teaching it. What would you highlight? What would you want people to know from 1 Corinthians 3.1? What, what stands out here? First, first line is pretty damning right there. Hmm. I speak to you people. Okay, very good. And who is he speaking to? Believers, okay, good. What else? What can we see here? What do you see? What do you not see? First Corinthians three one. They are in Christ. They're in Christ. Very good. They're out of fellowship. Out of fellowship. Okay, so very good. Good observations. Mature. Immature and babes in Christ. So, because of that, what is Paul arguing here? What is Paul saying? Because they're immature. I can't give you anything but the basics. I can't give you anything but the basics. So, they're not ready for things considered solid. Right? Right? But why? What was it that Paul noticed that said, you know what guys, okay, forget this. Uh, I'll bring, let me see, let's go to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. What did Paul notice among the assembly here that prompted him to sh- take his notes and put it away and say we got to go back to basics? They're arguing with each other. Very good. What else? So notice the the sins here. Envy, strife, and divisions. And even I'm of Paul and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? So when you have these, what can we call this? Envy, strife, and divisions. What is that called? That's a mental attitude. Metal attitude? Are they. Mental attitude, sin. So, if you have any of these, envy, strife, and divisions, you're not ready for meat. You're not ready for solid food. Now, their condition is such that they're not ready to receive solid food. So, that means there are people who attend church, not necessarily here, but in Paul's assembly, and by the way, when Paul wrote this, this was five years later, when he wrote chapter 3, five years later. So that seems to imply that you should be mature within five years. You should be ready for solid food. I could not speak to you as mature people, but as to carnal. And in fact, here are the words here. The pneumatikos is the spiritual man. The sarkinos or sarkikos is the carnal man. And the nephios is the infant or the child. So notice the three categories here. There is the spiritual, the carnal, and the babes, the infants, in the one verse, the one passage. They were brethren, they were believers, but he couldn't speak to them as spiritual, even though five years later, he was ready to give them solid food. But notice what he says. I could not speak to you as mature, but instead as carnal. That's that sarkikos. As to babes and Christ, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now, five years later, you are not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able to, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like what? What does it mean behaving like mere men? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. Aren't you acting like unbelievers now? You want me to give you solid doctrine and yet you have envy and strife and division among you? You guys are not ready. He made the adjustment based on what he saw and what he heard. Paul knew that because there was envy, strife, and division among the assembly, they were not ready for solid food. I find that rather interesting, especially when you compare it to Hebrews. Watch what it says in Hebrews. So, we saw First Corinthians 3.1. Look at what it says in Hebrews. Well, first of all, the last comment there. They were like babes in Christ. They couldn't eat the solid food. Instead, they could only handle milk. So those who were mixed up with envy, strife, and divisions, in other words, sin, were only in a position to receive milk. Now, what does Hebrews say? For though by this time, listen closely, you ought to be what? Teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You have come to need milk and not... What? Solid food. And look at what the author of Hebrews says. For everyone who partakes only of milk, like in First Corinthians 3 is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, in other words, mature. That is those, here's what a mature person should be able to do, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Again, using the word of God to be able to discern. Because look at what he says here. I got this new thing here now that I can... Everyone who... Like this? Everyone who partakes only of milk is considered unskilled in what? The word. The word of righteousness. And he's unskilled, so he's called a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, who by reason of use, use of what? The word of righteousness. Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So they're comfortable using the word. Knowing good and evil. So anyone who lives on milk is experienced, according to verse 13. To be mature you need solid food. Only in this way will your senses be trained to distinguish between good and evil so that you can live from a heavenly rather than an earthly perspective. You find that in verse 14 right here. This, in fact, is why God allows trials in our lives. So we can navigate through life using the Word of God. Is this part of God's permissive will, direct will? You start to consider all these things as you are exposed to the Word of God. And by those who are only partaking of milk is unskilled in the Word. Please note, notice that. Those who partake only of milk is unskilled in the word. So we need to be skilled in the word. And how does that happen? Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So it's the use of the word of righteousness, the word of God. Everything points back to the word of God. For to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So again, carnally minded is to be mentally inclined to the things of the flesh. It is death as far as the one's present enjoyment in life. This results in emptiness, depression, and spiritual impoverishment, no power. It also has the potential of physical death if carried out to full term. That pregnancy terminology comes from James 1, 14 to 15, which we saw two weeks ago. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So then, in closing, we've got a few more minutes here. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What's another way of saying this? Those who are huh? Those who are carnal. Carnal, No. Oh, in the flesh. Ah, unbelievers. The key here, folks, is in the flesh. If they're in the flesh, those in the flesh, what? Cannot please God. So another way of saying this is that unbelievers, no matter what they do, cannot please God. That makes sense, right? Unbelievers cannot please God. The unregenerate cannot please God. But you are what? Not in the flesh, but in the spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And he does. We saw that in Romans 8. You see the terminology flowing through, brethren, and so on. So just notice the contrast here. Those who are in the flesh versus those in the Spirit. Romans 8.8 and 8.9. The big difference is one is regenerate, one is unregenerate. That is a world of difference right there. One word. In. So now, when you look at Romans 8.5, hopefully this makes better sense now. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So who is he referring to in Romans 8.5? Believer or unbeliever? Believer. So, notice, you are not in the flesh, but it is possible for the believer to live according to the flesh. That's different from saying you're in the flesh. You can live according to the flesh. You can live like those who are worldly. Does that make sense? So, in Romans 8, 5, there are two categories here. Those who live according to the flesh, as a believer, those who live according to the Spirit, as a believer. It's your pick. It's your volition. If you're going to live according to the flesh, you're going to focus on the things of the flesh. You're going to turn on the X-rated movies. You're going to live like the flesh. The byproduct of that is consequence, impoverishment, no power, possibly death, if led to its logical conclusion, according to James. Not saying that you will, but it could be, because if you get drunk and take drugs, all kinds of things can happen. Those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit of God. Romans 8.5 applies to the believer. He's saying, take your pick. What are you going to focus your attention on? The things of the flesh or the things of the world? Things of the flesh or the things of the, f- the Spirit? That's your pick. Are you going to align your thinking with the things of the flesh? Well, don't be surprised if you lack the power. Don't be surprised if you are impoverished. Don't be surprised if you're lacking the stability that you once had. But if you live according to the spirit, what will you receive? What are the two things as a direct result of setting your minds on the things of the spirit? You'll receive two things. Life and peace. Purpose and peace. What's peace? Stability. Anybody need peace? Anybody need stability? Yes, we all do, right? That's a byproduct of setting your minds on according to the things of the spirit. So your your choice now, church. Are you going to live according to the flesh? Then you'll experience death, physical death, not necessarily. But I'll, I'll close it up in the, in just a second here. It's impover impoverishment, no power, lack of stability, lack of peace. But if you set your minds on the things of the spirit, you receive life and peace. So Romans 8.5 applies to us today. Romans 8.9 tells us our position. Our position is in Christ. But is it is it possible to live like the world? Yes, it is. It is. That's why I said back in Romans 12.2, don't be like them, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So the mindset on the flesh is death. For the believer, if we set our minds on the flesh, our fellowship with God is interrupted. We're all familiar with that. We separate ourselves from the power of the indwelling ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, and we're on our own, operating from the energy of the flesh. We don't lose our relationship with God, just what? Fellowship, which is a great loss. What we lose is life and peace in the context of Romans. We need life, we need peace. We have physical life, but we need that abundant life that Christ so promised us. Life and peace is a byproduct of setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. Because the mindset in the Spirit is life and peace. But when the believer sets their minds on the things of the flesh, they cease to experience the presence and the empowerment of God in their lives. So, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies who dwells in you. So, we're coming to a close now. We've got two minutes. Look closely at Romans 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, what? Dwells in you, does he? Okay, if that's true... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, God the Holy Spirit, according to verse 11, will give life, in other words, empowerment to your mortal bodies. How many of you have mortal bodies today? Most of us, right? He will give life to your mortal bodies. In other words, The indwelling Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, empowers the body in all of its weakness. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the believer can begin to experience this resurrection life when? Now. Not later on. This is not eschatological. This is not referring to the, the resurrection that we'll get when we see Him. This is talking about now. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give Empowerment will give life to your bodies, your mortal bodies. He's talking about now, your mortal bodies. We will, we will receive resurrection bodies in the, when we see Christ. But here he's saying, look, you have access to the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to give life to your mortal bodies now. Do you see that please? If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does, He who raised Christ from the dead, which He did, will also give life or empowerment to your mere mortal bodies. How many of you need that? We all do. He will give power to our bodies through His Spirit who indwells in you. So in closing... Your walk and behavior is determined by your mindset. Whatever you set your mind on will result in either death or life and peace. Death meaning emptiness, depression, spiritual impoverishment with potential for early death, the sin unto death. Or life and peace. That's the inward stability and tranquility that comes as a result of the empowering ministry of God the Holy Spirit. As you are indwelt by Him and as you are filled, remember the filling is what you lose, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And that takes place as a result of 1 John 1.9, coupled with a consistent intake to the Word of God, making application to it so that you can experience life and peace. So there you have it, we are now finished. So let us close in a word of prayer and then we will call it a day. Father, as always, we are delighted when we can assemble together to know you more through your word. And I realize that we've been covering the basics for a little while now, but Father, I do believe that this is critical as far as our time is concerned because we need to know fully in our hearts and souls what it means to really be transformed by the renewing of the mind as a direct result of being exposed to your word. Whether it's the knowing God the Father and God the Son, or recognizing that the gospel of Christ is what delivers us from the sins and the entanglement of the sins that we sometimes wrestle with. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to rally together with the saints here at National Capital Bible Church, and we ask, Father, that you would continue to bless this church and you would expose people in the surrounding areas to this ministry here as we continue to invite and tell people about National Capital, because this is a church where you are honored, your word is being taught, and lives are being transformed. We ask and pray all of these things through Christ's matchless name in which we pray. Amen.